You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jets. It's Tuesday, September 25th, 2018. I'm John B. from gangreennation.com. As always, if you like the show, subscribe, iTunes or Spotify, and leave the show a good review on iTunes if you do enjoy it. Joining us today, making his season debut, our good friend Mike Nania, who writes with me at gangreennation.com. And hopefully Mike can help jumpstart the Jets, because if I recall correctly, last year his first appearance got the Jets going. That was the first game of their three-game winnings. The, yep. the week we, first week we had them on last year, that's when the Jets got rolling. It was their first win of the season, and they got on a three-game winning streak. So, Mike, do you have more magic in you this year? Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Last year I came on, and they went on a three-game winning streak. Let's not talk about the rest of the season, but I came in three-game winning streak, so definitely hoping to bring that back this time. Actually, it is coming back. I'm telling you, it is. You're guaranteeing a three. So this is this is Namath, maybe not Namath <laughs> times three because it's not the Super Bowl. You know, I, I don't know that you know week four of the NFL season 2018 is quite Super Bowl three, but you're 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 calling your shot right now. Maybe not three, but let, let's at least one. I think at least one, and this is a bold week to do it playing Jacksonville. But hey, I mean. That's what that's what the Jets are all about, magic and surprises. It, it is a bold, especially this week against Jacksonville. <laughs> I'll tell you, I am not loving the Jets' chance this week. But let's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk. Mike writes a weekly, two two weekly articles. One, he he tracks the Jets' coverage stats. He he watches the Jets in coverage, and then he looks at the trenches. He looks at the way the Jets perform in the offensive line. We'll get to that those a little later. Um, I am still. I told you before we went. On, I am still angry over that game thursday night so just some some opening thoughts we'll get to the coverage we'll get to the offensive line a little little later but what are your thoughts on this thursday game because i've been i'm so i'm still annoyed about that game honestly i i did think the jets are going to lose this game just because cleveland in in spite of their reputation they're they're an improved team and obviously we did see that but just it's just the way that they lost it that that really breaks you because I don't want to. I don't. I don't like same old Jets at all. Anything like that. But it was that kind of game. The way the Jets had complete control, and then as bad as Tyrod Taylor was playing, then Baker Mayfield comes in. This is his season debut, and he's coming in down by double digits. So for the Jets to come in, and there were a lot of coaching errors. They were conservative on offense and defensively. And you mentioned it on the site that the Jets got less aggressive blitzing. Once Mayfield came in, there were just a lot of questionable coaching decisions. There were boneheaded penalties. It was just a really hard collapse to watch. And at the end of the day, this is still, I still think this team's going to win somewhere around seven games, same as I did before the season. It's only three games. They're only one and two. Both of the losses were by one score. But just the fashion they lost it doesn't really inspire confidence that under this coaching staff and that they could be a team that's going to consistently win games that they're supposed to win. To, to be up by two scores in the first half against a team that even though the Browns are improved, like I said, they're still a team that, like the Jets showed this past game, hasn't proven that they can win games. So to blow a lead like that the way they did was really disappointing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I totally agree. And it, you know, like it, it, it would be different if it was like a back and forth game where, you know, Mayfield pull, pulls, I mean, Mayfield made a play at the end of the game, but It'd be one thing if it was back and forth and the Jets were playing. I mean, the Jets just kept shooting themselves in the foot. The the two on sportsman like conduct penalties. Um, 
you know, just mistake after mistake. And I'm not done with the the Jets got less aggressive angle. I'm going to have another article on that a little later this week on GangGreenNation.com to preview that. But you're so right. I think as much as anything, it's it's not the it's not the fact that they lost because as you mentioned, Cleveland's an improved team. It's just the way they did it. The fact they're up fourteen nothing. I've just I, I we should move on because I said I'm still angry about it, and you can tell I'm still angry about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. So the, the big story uh, out of Monday, and I addressed this on the Monday show before the story broke, is that the Jets apparently placed a call into the Steelers about Le'Veon Bell's availability. On Sunday, the story broke that the Steelers were going to listen to trade offers. And I don't have a problem with the Jets calling because, you know, you have to give, you have to figure out what the price is for this guy. But unless the Jets are getting a huge discount here, and I mean both in terms of what they have to give up and – what sort of contract it would take to keep Bell here, which may not even, you know, the one thing I forgot to mention is that because he's uh, he's on the franchise tag, the Jets, there are rules that would prevent the Jets from uh, extending him according to a, to a number of reports. So I don't even know, like, what, how, I mean, could they, I'm not even sure they'd be able to extend him long term. But, I mean, I just don't see a realistic scenario where the price of Bell for me makes sense for the Jets. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I'm I'm definitely in the anti-Bell kind of camp, and he's a great player. And we talk about running back value a lot, but Bell is definitely a guy who kind of transcends that because of his ability as a receiver, not just catching out of the backfield, but lining up out wide and in the slot. He has really special versatility. He's a great player, but at the end of the day, you just have to really take a look at historically the past few years, the value that running backs have had in the league. They're, it's the lowest paid starting position of all the regular 22 offensive and defensive starting positions in the league. And that just tells you that the way the league values running backs and you look at teams that made the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl the past few years, they just tend to be teams that are winning it with their leading rushers being either, you know, the waiver pickups or low, low value trade pickups, just running backs have on Super Bowl teams tended to be really cheap. So I look at that, the fact that teams with high paid running backs haven't tended to win. And the fact that, you know, Bell just, he does have a lot of mileage on his tires. I do think he is talented enough to have multiple really, really great seasons left, but it's just not a position that I value highly enough to want to not only give him a big contract, but give up assets for him. When the team has so many big needs at edge rusher, offensive line, and the team is already down after the Sam Darnold trade, and they did get the third rounder in the Bridgewater trade, but this is a team that just has a lot of needs in really important spots and can't really afford to, in my opinion, give up a lot. And they do have the cap space, but just for that, for me, I think the assets would be too much for what is a non-premium position in my mind. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I just, it would be, I mean, there are not many players that, that I would give up a draft pick for based on where the Jets are right now. The argument I always hear from people, I've heard hear this repeatedly, is, well, it's not like the Jets are doing have done a great job in the past with those you know draft picks right, that they've right. had. Right, right. Can I jump in there that's, on that point? Yeah, that, I think that if if you're making that statement, then you have a separate problem. Your problem is that you have a GM that can't draft, and he needs to either draft better or he needs to go. And if you think that about Mac, or if the team thinks that about Mike McKagan, then that's the issue right there. But I don't think that if just because you're bad at drafting, it doesn't make a risky move like trading for Bell more justifiable. Because if if you can't draft, you're not going to win, and that's just the end of it. So it's not like you should try and make aggressive moves to compensate for it. You just have to draft better. So I don't think that his drafting ability 
should have any impact on whether or not Bell is a feasible kind of move. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, that you, you took a lot of the words out of my mouth right there. And, and for me, it's just just because you've just because you've missed on picks in the path in the past does not make future draft picks less less valuable. If you want to win in this league, you got to be able to draft right. effect. It's just it's just like you said. Yeah, definitely. And it's the same kind of thing with the when they trade the second round picks. Just because they struggled with them in the past, it doesn't change their future value. Because, And even though Mike McCagnan has kind of struggled with his drafting, but there's still time for it to turn around, and there's still time for the picks he has made to pan out. So draft picks' value are kind of equal regardless of who's making the picks. You have to have those opportunities to add cheap, young, high-upside talent to your roster. So with Bell, he's got the mileage, and he's a great player, but I just don't think the Jets really have to fix their O-line and their pass rushing situation, just two really important areas on both sides of the ball where the Jets are really bare in talent, and not just talent, but young talent. They don't really have any young, other than Brandon Shell, they don't really have any young O-linemen, and on the other side, they don't have any edge rushing talent at all, and those are extremely important positions. So any chance you could have at building those positions, I think you've really got to hold on to, and giving up those chances for a running back, a position where the Jets are actually kind of solid right now, is definitely something I wouldn't be on board for. And we'll head into the, more discussion on the offensive line. But my bookie is slammed with new betters and wants to give everybody the best service possible. So if you are willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Visit MyBookie online today, that's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, and use the promo code LOCKEDON25, that's LOCKEDON, the number two, number five, to claim, uh, when creating your account, to claim up to $1,000 in free play. If you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you can get an additional $25 in free play by using promo code LOCKEDON25. You play, you win, you get paid at MyBookie. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being in the crowd to cheer on the Jets. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert show or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive up to $20, to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save you even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use promo code Locked On, all one word, Locked On, for twenty dollars off orders of two hundred dollars or more. As a new customer of Vivid Seats, every purchase is backed by a one hundred percent buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Locked On for twenty dollars off orders of two hundred dollars or more. As a new customer of Vivid Seats, make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. We're here today with Michael Nania of GangreenNation.com talking about the Jets 2018 season to date. And Michael every week posts on GangreenNation.com a breakdown of the offensive line play and of the second of the play, not just the secondary, but also the linebackers, how the Jets do in coverage. So let's talk a little bit about your early impressions of this offensive line. Yeah, so with the offensive line, I've been looking at both in the run game and pass game. In the run game, looking at assists on not only first downs, but kind of setup runs, you know, like like at setup runs, I looked at the like five-yard gains that weren't first down. So assists in the run game and also assists in the open field of the pass game, such as like wide receiver screens, plays like that, and also the amount of stuffs allowed and in the passing game, 
looking at sacks allowed, hits allowed, pressures allowed, deflection, so all kinds of stuff to really kind of capture O-line performance, and you'll never be able to capture it all, and Pro Football Focus kind of does a really good job with it, but it's impossible to really capture it all with one number because every single snap does matter, and we're not really catching all that here, but with these numbers, I am trying to get, like, you know, the most impactful play. So with this offensive line so far, I think kind of going into this season, my feel on it was kind of like it's not the worst in the league. It's not like you look at some teams like the Giants and the Texans so far, teams that are completely destroying an offensive chance of moving the ball with how bad they are. I don't think the Jets are that kind of level, but I think the three games that we've seen so far, it's kind of a microcosm of what this offensive line is against a Detroit team where the Jets had favorable field position, the Lions do not have a good defensive front against them. The Jets did a pretty good job in both the run and pass game, but then look at them on the other side, the next two games, they played Miami and Cleveland. Those teams are they have better fronts than the Lions do pretty respectable, both those teams. So, Against those two teams, they weren't as good. And I, I think overall, I'll, I'll go through each guy one by one. Start on the left side, Kelvin Beecham. He's been, I don't think he's had that one game where he's been absolutely terrible. He did kind of struggle past pro in the Miami game. But overall, not terrible, but definitely, I don't think, an average level. He's been a little bit inconsistent. I do have him down for two sacks so far in the season. So, yeah, he's kind of been inconsistent. But I think the biggest question for me is the run blocking in the interior. For Spencer Long, kind of a question with him whether or not he'd be able to improve his run blocking. His pass protection is good. I have him down for only four pressures allowed so far, which is the least on the team, even though he did struggle against Cleveland. But the run blocking is interior is kind of a question for me with Brian Winters, Spencer Long, and James Carpenter, who we kind of questions if he's a scheme fit. So those two, those three guys have kind of been a question for me, their interior run blocking. And I've, I've got them for a lot of stuff each game. Other than the first game, they were pretty good running on Detroit, like I mentioned. But last couple of games, they have really struggled to move the ball up the middle other than in spurts. So for me, the run blocking the interior is probably the biggest question on this line. Yeah, you know, I reviewed the All-22 footage over the weekend of the Cleveland game, and I wrote down at one point in my notes that I was taking, you know, the, the three worst Jets on offense. I had number three was Chris Herndon, number two was Sam Darnold, who had a rough game, and number one was, like, by a mile, was I thought Spencer Long had a brutal game. I, mean, I, yeah, it, yeah. I thought it was shades of Wesley Johnson against Cleveland. Yeah, definitely. Spencer Long really struggled in that game. And over the first two games, like, and Spencer Long, his pass protection, I think that was his best asset. And over the first two games, he was really, really clean there, even though he was struggling at run blocking. But it fell apart last game. He had the one sack where uh, – I'm not sure if it was Miles Garrett, but whoever it was, he got completely owned and completely destroyed the play. He gave up that sack. He did give up two other pressures. And I counted him for allowing five stuffs in the run game, and that's just not going to cut it. So Long does have to get better as a run blocker. But on the whole, even though he did have – bad game last week I think his pass protection has been solid so hopefully he can keep up the rate that he's at right now through three games but definitely coming off this last game he's questions answered but for me the best player in the line has absolutely been Brandon Shell and over the past couple games he's allowed a few pressures here and there I have him for three pressures allowed over the past two games but I haven't gotten him for a sack or a hit allowed yet and he only has one penalty but for me, the biggest thing is his run blocking because I think he's had shades, really good pass protection the past couple of years, but it's a run game where he was never really an impact player at all. But now I'm seeing him play really well when the Jets have run to his side. I think they run the ball really well. They featured him on a few poles out in the open field, and there was one play against Cleveland where it didn't work. But on the whole, I think Shell's been really impressive in the run game, and I'm pretty encouraged by what I've seen from him. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was saying, I remember last year I said of those five guys, I was not sure that the Jets had a long-term starter on the line. And now I watch the team this year and I'm not sure they have two, but I actually, I, I have, I'm also encouraged by Shelter three games. I mean, he's, it looks like he's taking the next step to me. Yeah, definitely. And physically it's been there. That's probably part of why Mike McKagan traded up for him. Well, not, they did trade a future fourth rounder to get him in the fifth, I believe. So definitely the physical tools have been there. He's really big, he's long, and he's athletic for his size. But technically it wasn't there. But he's really kind of put it together. And his pass protection is pretty solid so far. And in run blocking, I think he's been, been a weapon so far. And the thing is, I, it, he's kind of continuing what he did in the preseason. I was really impressed by him over those four games. And he's really carried that over. Here on the Locked On Jets podcast today, we have Michael Nania of GangreenNation.com as our guest. And now let's take a look at the coverage uh, so far the Jets are playing. And I'll tell you, Michael, um, over the offseason, the move that I think scared me more than any move the Jets made was the contract they gave to Tremaine John. They gave him a very yeah. rich deal and a deal that's structured in a way that the Jets are committed to Johnson for a number of years. And I'm interested in your take on this because I've concerned i'm not saying i'm in panic mode i'm not saying i'm ready to declare the deal a failure just yet it's only three games but i'm concerned by what i've seen from johnson so far he it seems like week two he played a solid game but two of the first three games have been struggles for him uh, what's your perception of him yeah definitely i'm on the same page as you i was really skeptical of that i was actually even before the jets signed him i was kind of wary of signing him but they did end up getting him and I think that the Jets did have money to spend, and you look at today's NFL, talent doesn't really hit the market, so I think that over a long period of time, it, you're not going to see that many corners as good as Johnson hit the market, but he's also not as good as his salary says he is, so I don't think we're ever going to get top two kind of play from Johnson, but I think he can be a top 20 kind of guy, but you're right, I am kind of discouraged by the first three games. The Detroit game, he struggled, he had he got beat for a couple 20-yard games, and he had a penalty in that one too. So, And he also missed a lot of time in that. So he did struggle in the first game. But the Miami game, he came back, and I thought he played really well. He broke up a few passes in that one. Actually, for the most part, in the Miami game, it didn't even really show up in the stat sheet because he's covering so well that Ryan Tannehill often didn't even look at his side. And I believe he matched up about seven times against Kenny Stills, and there was only one incomplete target against Johnson when he matched up against Stills. And that was a really big key for the Jets in that game. Kenny Stills was pretty great to start the season, but he went up against Johnson and didn't do much of anything. So, yeah, he was good against Miami, took away the deep ball. And you saw the things that he does well, get physical at the line, take away the deep parts of the field. But then the opposite happened last week. He got really lucky that he was beat bad by Antonio Callaway. He should have given up about a 70-yard touchdown, but Tyrod Taylor underthrew him. And Johnson broke it up. So I do think that with corners, just when, when guys get beat on deep balls, it's, it's just such a hard pass to complete that it's really rare to see a quarterback absolutely throw a perfect in stride deep ball. So a big part of that is that when you do get beat, you got to make up for it. So it was good to see Johnson do that. But on the whole, he he did have another play in that uh, the Cleveland game where he got bailed out and didn't give up the first down when he should have. But he did do a pretty good job in the screen game. Saw a couple targets underneath where he blew those up and also forced a couple throws into the dirt with tight coverage, blowing up screens. So, yeah, I think we've seen pluses and minuses with him, but 
I just think you do have to like the fact that even though he did get bailed out the one time, hasn't allowed a touchdown yet. I think that's a big part of what he brings to the table. He's going to keep guys out of the end zone. He might give up some first, but he only gave up one touchdown last year, and he's good in the red zone and, for the most part, takes away the deep ball. Obviously, the Callaway play he got lucky on, but he did make up for it by breaking it up. So, yeah, pluses and minuses from Tremaine, but on on the whole, I think you got to see him play a little better than he has so far. Okay, well, that's a, that's a positive. I've been like searching for somebody who has a positive viewpoint on this, so I'm glad <laughs> I got a little positivity there. Um, how about impressions of, of some of the other cover guys so far? Yeah, I think the biggest standout has got to be Darren Lee, absolutely. And Pro Football Focus has him as their number one cover corner, and it really lines up with what I've looked at. I, I have Lee for 20 targets on the season so far, and he's only given up 80 yards in those. That's four yards in attempt. That is ridiculously low. That's crazy. And only three first downs on those, which is 15 percent. And that that's incredibly good. That's really good. And obviously the Detroit game was the highlight, but he's kept it up the last couple of weeks, going up against good receiving backs. The Browns, Duke Johnson, he's a legit receiving back. And then Theo Riddick, week one, legit receiving back. And Kenyon Drake against Miami, that he's a legit receiving back too. So this isn't slouch competition that Lee is facing in terms of receiving ability of opposing running backs. And he's just shut them down every single week. He did uh, contribute. He did allow a first down to David Njoku this year, this past week for 17 yards. I had him for that in zone coverage. That's his biggest play in the year. But on the whole, you look at three first downs over 20 targets. Lee has, and he does have work to do in the running game still, but he's completely transformed his coverage game. And for me, that's an, a really big positive for this entire team. And we, I did talk about that a lot before the season that, the way Lee progresses is a huge X factor for this defense, and it has been so far. And there's been hot and cold stretches. There's been pluses and minuses, but the team hasn't given up more than 21 points yet. And you look at the way Lee's playing in coverage, that's a big reason why. I agree with you. I think he's looked like a different player so far. Only three games, so you know he has to sustain it for a longer stretch. But, I mean, to me, he's looked like a different player. He looks so much more assertive, so much more confident just going after the ball this year. I, I don't know. He just – he looks like the guy I was hoping the Jets were drafting two years ago. For the, you know, for the first time, he actually looks like the guy I thought they were getting. So it's a, I think it's exciting stuff for the Jets. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you draft a guy like Darren Lee, a guy who's, you know, athletic-based, you don't, they didn't draft Lee for his production or his reputation or his ability to dominate in college or fundamentals. They drafted him because he's a really, really athletic linebacker. And when you draft a guy like that, you want to see him – you know, be able to develop into a football player, a guy who can make football plays. And Lee is a guy who they did draft. He's a young prospect when they drafted him, and he didn't have a lot of experience at linebacker. So he's the kind of guy who you could expect for to have to take time to get his game rounded out. But obviously at some point you got to see results. And through two years, he was one of the worst linebackers in the league. But, yeah, he's definitely showing signs of turning it around. And his run defense did kind of struggle the first two weeks. But same as Avery Williamson, he kind of struggled as well. But against Cleveland, they did kind of bring that part of their game together too. So his, his the progression of Lee has been really impressive. All right, Michael, any final thoughts before we call it a show? Um, I mean, I'm interested to see what the Jets do this week. I honestly think they're going to compete again. We haven't seen this team get blown out yet. When the Dolphins stomped on them, they came right back and they had a chance to win that game with if a few simple plays are executed, they're right back in that with a great chance to win. So Jacksonville is the best roster they've faced so far. And probably, you look at the course of the season, probably the second best roster they'll play outside of Minnesota. So 
it's going to be a really good challenge. And obviously, uh, they beat Jacksonville last year, so they showed you they could beat them. But home field is definitely a key factor, always with the Jets, one of the biggest, one of the worst road teams in the league over the past few years. But they've been, they've been better on the road this year, even though the Browns collapse was terrible. They've actually competed in these games, which is last year something they could never do, even be close in the game. So they're playing a little bit better on the road, and Jacksonville's coming off an ugly loss. Um, with Blake Bortles, you never know what you're going to get. He's had a better season. He hasn't turned over the ball, but he just scored six points at home against the Titans, who have a decent defense. But you never know what you're going to get with him. So most importantly, I'm just hoping to see Sam Darnold bounce back. And this is a great defense for him to do it against. So, yeah, I'm interested to see if they do this week. And we have the Narnia Locked On Jets Magic this week, which will launch the Jets onto <laughs> yep, another winning streak. That should <laughs> push right. the spread by like five points. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. I hope you'll have. We hope you'll come back again soon. Thanks a lot. And thank you for listening to the Locked On Jets podcast today. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. iTunes, Spotify to subscribe. iTunes for a good review if you enjoy the show. Hope you have a great Tuesday. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk about Jets Jaguars Week Four of the NFL season here in 2018.